that better than a video? Everyone was listening. Such a great story. Max Licato has a gift. I'm excited to share this message with you this morning because it's what it's all about. It's my favorite topic because it's God's favorite topic. It's about his great love for us. And as I was sitting here and we were singing the songs and hearing the, the message or the word from 1 John, I was looking up at our, our church's mission statements and two of them explicitly say it, loving with our hearts and showing Christ's love. Because that is core to what the gospel message is all about. That God loves us. He's demonstrated it on the cross of Calvary through Christ's sacrifice. And we have that love now to share with others. And uh, that's what the message of 1 John is all about. And I want to focus us in on this this morning. So would you bow with me once more? Father in heaven, thank you that this message of love is at the center of it all. It's not just a nice addition to what you've said about us, what your word has revealed. No, it is at the very heart. It is your essence. You are a God of love. And so I pray, Lord, that again your great love would speak to our hearts and convince us, persuade us once more this morning how great your love is that you've lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that from this privileged position we have a great love to share with others. Bless your word. Speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I once shared a story of a mouse who looked through a crack in the wall to see a farmer and his wife opening a package and was startled to discover that what was inside was a rather large mouse trap. Well, seeing this mouse trap, the mouse retreated into the farmyard, proclaiming the warning to all of the other animals. There is a mouse trap in the house. There is a mouse trap in the house. Well, the chicken clucked in response. Mr. Mouse, I can tell this is a very grave concern for you, but it's of no consequence to me. I can't be bothered. And off he went. Well, the mouse then turned to the pig and told him, There's a mouse trap in the house. I'm so very sorry, Mr. Mouse, snorted the pig. But there is nothing I can think of to do about it. Besides, a mouse trap is of no concern to me. Maybe someone else will help you out. So the mouse finally turned to the cow, who replied, Like, wow, Mr. Mouse, a mouse trap, am I in grave danger? Duh. <laughs> so, finding no help or sympathy from the other animals, the mouse returned to the house, head down and dejected, to face the farmer's lethal mouse trap alone. Well, that very night, a sound was heard throughout the house, the sound, the unmistakable sound of a mousetrap snapping shut upon its prey. The farmer's wife eagerly rushed to see if they'd finally caught that dratted mouse. But in the darkness, she did not see that it was, in fact, a venomous snake whose long tail had been caught in the trap. Well, the snake bit the farmer's wife, who soon ran a high fever. And so the farmer called upon the county doctor. Now everyone knows that you treat a high fever with chicken noodle soup. And so the farmer took his hatchet and headed to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient, chicken. Well, his wife's sickness continued, so that friends and neighbors came to sit with her around the clock. To feed all of those people, the farmer butchered the pig. Unfortunately... Things got worse. 
The farmer's wife passed away. She died. And so in order to provide enough roast beef for the funeral meal, he butchered the cow. But as it turns out, there was a whole lot of leftover cheese and one very happy mouse. So we see the moral of the story that the chicken, the pig, the cow all thought that the mouse's concern with the mousetrap didn't concern them. And so the moral of the story is the next time that you hear someone needs help and you think it doesn't concern you, remember that when the least of these suffers, we all suffer. In today's text taken from 1 John chapters 3 and 4, we find here one of the crown jewels in my opinion, in all of Scripture. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins with this amazing statement. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. There's not very many places in the Bible that actually uses this word lavished, but this is one of them. It's a word that speaks to the highest of excess. It's lavished. In fact, some of the other places I did a word study on this word lavished, it would be used where someone was living lavishly in excess. But here it's used to talk about God's love towards us, that it's lavish, it's in excess, it's almost gaudy in that it's so over the top. But this is the sort of language that John chooses to use of how God loves us. He lavishes it upon us. He continues, everyone who loves has been, pardon me, uh, verse 1, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are children of God. And from there, John goes on to mention love no less than 35 times in the next two chapters. 35 times. That's far more times than even the so-called love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And so I believe it's safe to say that what the Apostle John really wants to get across here is that his readers would understand just how much God loves us, to understand where that love comes from, what love is, and finally what love does. So let's look at these things in the form of three questions this morning. The first question is this, where does love come from? Where does love come from? If we skip ahead to 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 to 8, we read this statement of fact. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So here we see the answer to the first question. Love not only comes from God... But John goes so far as to say that God is love. The middle of verse 16 restates this emphatically, where he says again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. So here we see that more than simply saying God is loving, John says God is love. In other words, God didn't just wake up one day and decide that he was going to be a loving God. Instead, love is at the core of God's identity. His nature and his essence is love. From the Eye of the Needle newsletter comes a parable of a holy man who is engaged in his morning meditation under a tree whose roots stretched out over the riverbank. 
During this time, he noticed that the river was rising and that a scorpion had become caught in the roots and was about to drown in the water. And so this man left his meditation. He crawled out onto the precarious roots above the river and he reached down in an attempt to free the scorpion. However, every time he reached down to free the scorpion, the scorpion would strike out at him with his stinger. Well, this went on for some time, and a passerby came along. And he watched this go on for a minute, and finally he said to the holy man, Don't you know what you're trying to rescue there? That's a scorpion, and it's in the very nature of a scorpion to want to sting you. He just can't help himself. To which the holy man replied, Well, that may well be, but you see, it's in my nature to save And must I change my nature because the scorpion does not change his? You see, just as by its very nature, fire is hot and ice is cold, God is love. And like the scorpion, we too lash out at God's gracious hand. And yet, that did not deter his willingness to save us in any way. Why? Because God is love. His nature is to rescue. No matter how badly we lashed out at him in return, like that scorpion, God was determined to save us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And his nature is love. All love comes from God. Question number two What is love? In 1984, a relatively unknown British band at the time named Foreigner released a single. That single immediately rocketed to the top of the music charts and stayed at number one well into 1985 and has since been covered by many artists, including Winona Judd and Mariah Carey. And the song's title is, I Want to Know What Love Is. Who knows that song? Admit it. You've all heard it. I want to know what... I'm not going to attempt to sing that. (laughs) I'll spare you. It's a little bit of a high note, but the chorus repeats that phrase of the song, I want to know what love is, I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is, I know you can show me. Now, what this popular song presents is the question that I believe every single person who's ever been born in the history of the world wants to know. They want to know what love is. But as usual... The song assumes that the answer is found in a romantic relationship, the type idealized on Valentine's Day, where we can somehow find out what love is with just the right person in our life. Then we will know. But to that I'll say that while love can most certainly be found in romantic relationships, at least it should be in a good one, that's not what the Bible teaches us that love is. Love is something else according to Scripture. It's actually quite unfortunate that the word love has a wide variety of meanings and applications in our English language. For instance, Leanne and I used that word on our wedding day when we promised in our vows to love and to cherish each other as long as we both should live. But you know what? I've also been guilty of using that exact same word to say, I love potato chips. I use the same word, but I kind of mean something different, don't I? 
the one has a lot more weight to it than the other, and I'll leave it up to you to decide which one has more weight. <laughs> I hope you can figure it out. Now, as many of you know, the Greek word that John uses here, the one that we translate into English as love, is a Greek word called agape. Agape, spelled A-G-A-P-E, agape. Agape was a new word that was coined by the early church specifically to describe the love of God. And it's defined this way. I think this is an excellent definition of what agape is. It is described as the active love of God the Father for his Son and his people. And the active love his people are to have in return for God, each other, and even enemies. Now I want you to take note of the phrase active love. Active love. John emphasizes this point when he tells us exactly what love is. If we, if we sang that song again and they were asking the question, I want to know what love is, well here it is. And it's not John 3.16, but it's 1 John 3.16 and to verse 18. And it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In this statement, we hear the clear echo of Jesus' words to his disciples many years earlier. And remember, John was among them that day, when shortly before going to the cross, Jesus said to his disciples, No man has greater love than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Let me share with you once more a story from Ernest Gordon's book entitled Miracle on the River Kwai. It's a true account that during World War II, captured Scottish soldiers were forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad. The harsh conditions and treatment began to take its toll and they themselves degenerated into barbarous behavior towards each other. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel went missing. The Japanese officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. When nobody in the squadron budged, the officer finally unholstered his gun and he threatened to kill them all on the spot if the shovel was not produced. It was obvious that the officer meant business. They knew him for his cruelty and his willingness to kill with very little provocation. Finally, out of the row of men, one man stepped forward. At this, the Japanese officer holstered his pistol, picked up a nearby shovel, and proceeded to beat that man to death. When it was all over, the other men carried their fallen comrade to the next tool check. But this time, no shovel was missing. In fact, it was revealed there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. The word spread like wildfire throughout the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to step forward and die to save the others. This incident had a profound effect. The men banded together and began to treat each other like brothers once more. My friends, this is what love is. You don't need to wonder a moment longer. Jesus deeply and truly loves you. He died for you so that you could go free, free from sin and free to enter into a right relationship with God the Father as his own child. And not only did Jesus willingly lay down his life for us, but 
God the Father also had to be willing to send his Son to die for us. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10, we read, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, God's love for us cannot be separated from his action of giving us Jesus. John 3.16, not 1 John, but this time John 3.16, the one we all know, says it so simply. God so loved the world that, what? He gave. It's not God so loved the world that he stayed at a distance. It's not God so loved the world that he watched us and felt sorry for us. No, it's God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. There is an action that is directly attached to God's love. The two cannot be separated. Consider this. What good would God's love for you be if he had not sent Jesus? What good would his love be at a distance if we were still to die lost in our sin? You see, love without the action of sacrificially giving of itself is not really love at all. It's just words. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, we read this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, to me, is the key verse in this entire passage. This is what love is all about. It's not about words or tongue so much as it is about actions and in truth. You see, agape love not only demands action, but I would go so far as to say that agape love, true love, is action. The two cannot be separated. There is no love apart from action. And it is the action of willingly and sacrificially giving of itself for the good of another. And here's a very important thing about it. It demands nothing in return. Anytime that we do something loving, but all the while we're expecting something in return, reciprocation, according to the Bible, that is not the kind of love that agape is. No, agape demands nothing in return. It sacrificially gives of itself for the good of another and expects nothing in return. So now, we know where love comes from. It comes from God. We know what love is. And the third question is, what does love then do? I'll give you the answer right off the bat. Love transforms the recipient. Love changes us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say this. Dear friends, let us love one another, For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so what John is saying is that the evidence someone has received God's agape is that they have been transformed and enabled to now give God's agape to others. But here's an important distinction. 
that if anyone claims to have received God's agape but is not transformed in their actions, they betray themselves. No love for others shows they do not, in fact, know God. In, three, in chapter 3, verse 17, John asks this very pointed question. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? John takes it even further, and he's so bold as to say in chapter 4 and verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. You see, God's love is so powerful that it simply must transform those who are touched by it. We can no less be affected by God's love than if we were to grab high-voltage power lines. It jolts us and transforms us in such a way that we begin to act more and more like God towards others. There is simply no encountering the love of God without transformation. It is impossible. Chapter 4, verse 17 says this, In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world, we are like him. On Sunday morning, November 8th, 1987, an Irishman by the name of Gordon Wilson took his daughter Marie to a small town parade in Northern Ireland. As Gordon and Marie stood by a brick wall waiting for British soldiers and police to march by, a bomb planted by IRA terrorists exploded from behind, and the brick wall tumbled on them. The blast instantly killed a half dozen people and pinned Gordon and his daughter beneath several feet of bricks. Unable to move, Gordon felt someone take hold of his hand. It was his daughter, Marie. Is that you, Dad? she asked. Yes, Marie, Gordon answered. He heard several people begin screaming. Are you all right? Gordon asked his daughter. Yes, she said. But then she, too, began to scream. As he held her hand again and again, he asked her, Are you all right? Are you all right? And each time she would reply, Yes, Papa, I'm all right. Some time passed as rescue workers worked carefully to clear the rubble from from above them. Then finally Marie said quietly, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her last words. Four hours later, in hospital, she was pronounced dead of severe spinal and brain injuries. Miraculously, Gordon himself emerged with only minor injuries. And later that same day, that evening, a BBC reporter asked him the question, And sir, how do you feel about the guys who did this to your daughter? To which Gordon replied, I bear them no ill will, no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring my Marie back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. Needless to say, the reporter was shocked at his reply. And in the months that followed, Gordon stuck to his story. Others asked how he could forgive such a monstrous act. And Gordon explained, Marie's last words to me, words of love, had put me on a plane of love. And from that plane, I could receive God's grace. And through the strength of his love for me, I was enabled to forgive immediately. 
And many years after this tragedy, Gordon Wilson continued to work for peace in Northern Ireland and was one of the key spokesmen in brokering the final peace talks that have stood till this day. You see, my friends, God's love is not just nice words. It's not just lip service we give on Sunday morning. It's not just a nice fuzzy idea we talk about. No, God's love is the greatest power in existence in the universe. Do we believe that? This is the kind of love that changes lives for eternity. This is the love that set God into action to come into mankind's misery and sin and set us on a path to life. Yes, my friends, it is the most powerful force in existence in the universe. This is the love of God that we are talking about this morning. By this love, he sent his son into the world to be put to death on a cruel cross by cruel men. And yet, while hanging on that cross, Jesus looks at those same men who have just crucified him. And with love, he says these words, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So just tell me, what force in the world is more powerful than that? You know, we talk about what the great leaders of the world have at their disposal in the form of power and might. Yes, they have their fingers on buttons that can launch off weapons so powerful they can eviscerate entire cities. And we say, that's power. No, my friends, that is not power. Power, true power, is the power of love that can stop men from hating one another and instead forgive and love. That is power, my friends. Like Gordon Wilson, he had encountered God's love and it empowered him to love and forgive even the very enemies that took his daughter's life the same day that it happened. So I ask again, what does love do? Love transforms and it empowers those who receive it. So let me just ask you, the most important question, have you received God's love? Have you been transformed by God's love? Then just let me encourage you this morning, don't be stingy with it. Don't hold on to it as though by holding on to it, you're going to keep more for yourself. No, God's love is one of those amazing things, probably the only thing in existence, whereby the more you give away, the more you have. And the more you give away, the more you are enabled to receive from God above. Our capacity is increased by the more we give it away. And now you might be thinking, well, this is all fine and good, Pastor, but you know what? I don't feel particularly loving towards so-and-so. Well, maybe you're not feeling particularly loving right now towards your husband or your wife. Maybe you're not feeling particularly loving towards your teacher at school who's been giving you a hard time. Maybe you're not feeling all that loving towards people who are facing difficult circumstances. Let me just say one thing to you right now. Forget about how you feel. Love is not a feeling. Nowhere in this passage does John talk about how we feel. Love is an action. Love is a verb. It does things. Love is action. And one great thing I've discovered in my life is that most of the time, the wonderful thing is the feelings follow the action. Rarely do the feelings proceed the action of love, 
but almost without fail, they will follow. When you do something that's loving, it's amazing how those feelings of love will follow. So let me just challenge you today. Resolve today, or this week, resolve right now, to do something loving. Something tangible and real. It doesn't have to be big either. It can be extremely simple. All that is required is that you do something sacrificially for the good of another without demanding anything in return. There's a great story told by Booker T. Washington, who was born a slave in the American South. He was later freed and eventually, in 1881, founded the Tuskegee Institute where other former African-American slaves could receive a higher education. And in his autobiography, Booker T. Washington writes, The most trying ordeal I was forced to endure as a slave boy was that of wearing a flax shirt. That part of the flax from which our clothing was made was largely the refuse, which of course was the cheapest and the roughest part. I can scarcely imagine any torture except perhaps that of pulling a tooth that is equal to that caused by putting on a new flax shirt for the first time. It is almost equal to the feeling that one would experience if he had a dozen or more chestnut burrs or a hundred small pinpoints in contact with his flesh simultaneously. But I had no choice. I had to wear the flax shirt or none. Well, my brother John, who is several years older than I am, performed one of the most generous, loving acts I have ever heard of one slave doing for another. On several occasions when I was being forced to wear a new flax shirt, he generously agreed to put it on in my stead and wear it for several days until it was sufficiently broken in. Now that is love. Now you may not have flax shirts to break in in your closet right now or ones to have for your brother, but I would suggest that like the flax shirt, there are countless other ways to put love into action on behalf of someone else. Do something unexpectedly thoughtful for your husband or wife. You might just shock them. They might ask, and what are you looking for in return? Nothing. (laughs) Just try it. Do something unexpectedly loving. How about try showing respect to your teacher at school? And rather than talking back, come up with a sincere compliment to give them. How about you bring a bag of groceries to that family you might know who's going through a tough time? Make a phone call to someone who you know is struggling, just to let them know you're thinking of them and that you care. Visit someone in the care home. The list goes on and on, the simple yet tangible ways that we can put love into action. And so remember, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that it is so crystal clear for each one of us today. Love comes from you. Apart from you, there is no love. And Lord, this love is a sacrificial one. It gives freely, expecting and demanding nothing in return. And that when we have received this love, we are transformed by it. And we have that power to pass it along to others. And so I pray, Lord, that today, having heard clearly from your word what love is and what love does, 
that we would resolve right now that this week we will deliberately, intentionally do actions that are loving towards others. Whether they're great or whether they are small is of no consequence. What matters is that we desire to be like you in this world and to love others freely, unconditionally, because we have this love to give. And we might just be surprised to learn we have more capacity to receive love the more we give it away. And so please help us to be that kind of a people, Lord. In my life, in the life of each person here today, show us, Lord, where you would have us put your love into action and see what you'll do through that. Thank you that this power is readily available to each one of us this very moment, this very second. And so as we have received your love freely, we choose and resolve to freely give it away to others. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.